0: Hello and welcome to the English Network podcast. Now, I know we said last episode that some things never change and we were going to continue with me as history man on the spot. Mm -hmm. However, for this episode on Seamus Heaney's Storm on the Island, we need to defer, I must defer, to our resident Irishman, Mr Ted Seeley. So Ted, as history man on the spot, please take it away.
1: Oh, well, well, first of all, this is subverting everything I think me and the listeners have come to expect. It, it pains me to be away from the introduction, and I also oh, crumb, don't worry. I,
0: I, feel, I feel like I did a really, uh, really good job. I was very charismatic, well, yeah, put you, everyone at ease, and
1: you got it on the first go as well with no re at all. That's true,
0: um,
1: but yeah, I'm definitely feeling the pressure here, so let's see how this goes, and also pressure to uh, do the context of this poem justice, um, because it is you know, context I think with this poem is really really important. So, you know, let's start off with the poet himself, you know, Seamus Heaney is one of the most important poets of the twentieth century, uh, not just in Ireland but indeed in kind of the, in the English speaking world so he 's born in one thousand nine hundred and thirty nine in Derry and he in his kind of career as a poet, he sees the, the the travesty of the troubles unfurl he sees kind of a civil war hit northern Ireland he sees you know trust in in the government kind of collapse, he sees tensions between the Republic of Ireland and Great Britain reach an all time high. Um, and he sees this this kind of pivotal moment in the the history of of the Irish nation um, in 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 his lifetime. Now, in context for him growing up in Northern Ireland, it's important to remember that Northern Ireland is a country which is you know m- mostly Protestant, and mostly the people living in Northern Ireland want to remain a part of the UK. However, Seamus Heaney was a Catholic and grew up in a nationalist community. Now, this means that those people living in in Derry where he was born wanted. Um, Northern Ireland to be part of the Republic of Ireland, to be separate from the UK. Now, as they were a minority, they often experienced political oppression from the majority of uh, the unionists and Protestants in the country, which would mean it would be difficult for them to get jobs, it would be difficult for them to kind of enjoy a lot of the benefits of kind of middle class life, whether or not that's kind of having access to civil service jobs or university or whatever it might be. And that created a lot of tension between those two communities in Northern Ireland, that you know, the Protestants and the Catholics, you know, the the Unionists and the Nationalists. And this led to the troubles. Now, Seamus Heaney sees all this, witnesses all this, and sees the kind of the violence that happens and the kind of the terrorist organizations which kind of to an extent take advantage of this and inflict you know violence on innocent people. And his poems very much reflect this experience. But Seamus Heaney was also a real student of Irish history, and I think he saw the Troubles as fitting in as merely another tragic chapter in a long story of hardship that Ireland had experienced, going all the way back to, sadly, some of the earliest um, uh, experiences within England were invasions, you know, kind of led by uh, kind of the Normans, kind of going into parts of Northern Ireland. We have uh, attempted genocide uh, by kind of uh, Oliver Cromwell, Um, We've got the the plantation, which kind of started um, placing more and more Protestants in Northern Ireland as a means of political control. Then you've got the famine and there's still this kind of idea in Ireland that the famine was something which was very much um, at the the door of the British government at the time. Britain was the most powerful empire in the world, and yet one of its home countries experiences a famine on their very doorstep, and they can't help. Um, And we've also got, you know, even more important from a poet's perspective, perhaps you have almost a cultural genocide of Ireland where this, this Irish identity is very much removed by the, the English government. Now, if we look at um, Shea Massini's birthplace is an interesting example, of This Shea Massini was born in, <clears throat> I say, Derry. Derry's legal name is Londonderry. And, you know, Derry was renamed Londonderry under King James I in 1603 or something like that. And that's just a classic example of what happened in Ireland, is that these Irish place names were taken away. The Irish language was outlawed. Um, you know, Catholicism was kind of tried to be suppressed, et cetera. So this is the backdrop for Seamus Heaney's poem, and yeah, you know, there's this massive, massive context. But I think it's important to remember that Seamus Heaney was not necessarily political in his motivations to writing. He was interested in the human condition, in the human spirit, in the human experience. And while he had a particular passion for the Irish people and he thought the kind of the beauty of the way they approach life, he was not necessarily trying to write a historical. Um, Poem here. He was not trust, necessarily trying to say right or wrong. He's just interested in that human experience amongst that hardship. Mm. Um, so that's that's all I've got for context for now. But we'll re- revisit this theme as we explore. I think
0: I think just want something to pick up on there is is um, you mentioned a lot about, about the importance of religion and its um, relation to political control. How yeah. religion influences political control. And I think that's something that we can look at in this poem as a whole. In that is that he. He explores how this, how ideas, whether that's religion or indeed language itself, how that has, how it's simultaneously intangible, invisible, mm-hmm. uh, impossible to truly, an abstract, impossible to, yeah. like you can't hold it in your hand, and yet it holds huge amounts of power, mm-hmm. um, and has and has a real um, tangible effect on people's lives, and indeed can be can be lethal. Um, and I, think, I just think that's... A, that's uh, hearing you speak about that actually probably will inform the way that I think about the poem yeah. moving forward throughout this podcast, definitely.
1: I, I think, you know, this poem, Storm in the Island, is a very particular way of looking at the Troubles and kind of what he witnessed in Northern Ireland. You know, just you know, to clarify why we think it's about um, the Troubles, we've got Storm in the Island, Storm, that the Northern Irish uh, House of Government is called Stormont, Ireland obviously kind of quite sounds like Ireland... So that's yeah, one reason why you kind yeah. of think it's about the troubles, and then as you just look through, there are all these kind of oblique <coughs> references to to violence and war and to strife and trouble. And we
0: say we say all the time with these with these poems, there's lots of different ways of interpreting them. Mm-hmm. Um, I've, you could just look at this as a power of nature. I've, mm-hmm. I've heard people talk about it as like a, an extended metaphor for a relationship, mm-hmm. but I do think the most convincing one is to is to look at this in terms of um, a kind of an allegory about Ireland itself yeah. and his experiences of it.
1: Mm. And I, I think again, it comes back to this idea that Seamus Heaney was not you know we were looking at in the last podcast how Wilfred Owen was this poet with a real idea and political message and he wanted to persuade people to, to a certain viewpoint you know I think here Seamus Heaney is as Al's kind of posited there is just trying to get us to consider how things that are intangible how things we which we can't touch or feel shape our lives whether or not that's religion or nationality or or some ideology or whatever it might be yeah. or even just the weather how these things mm-hmm. which Aren't actually part of the, the human f- fabric. Yeah. how they fundamentally alter yeah. and shape the course of our lives. And that's that, And
0: just one more thing on that: it's like you see that through lots of different poems. Mm-hmm. You see it in exposure, but then we again we saw it in Bayonet Charge um, when he talks about it, the way that what motivated him to fight were mm-hmm. ideas, concepts, mm-hmm. king, honor, human dignity, etc. And they're the things that are, again, intangible and yet very, very powerful because it's something that we all buy into.
1: We see it in a poem like Tissue as well. Yeah, yeah, well, very much so.
0: Can't wait for that one. Um, So just going to move now to the first line of the poem. And we know that that is definitely your domain. We'll get back (coughs) to our normal um, order of business. Good, good, good. Back in
1: my comfort zone now. So um, I think this offers a really interesting um, counterpoint to um, exposure in exposure we saw from the get-go the use of kind of these collective pronouns to emphasize a unity uh, despite or to an extent perhaps because of uh, hardship and here in the first line of the poem we see the same theme again we are prepared we build our houses squat so straight away the first word in the poem is we and you know we talk about you know what? What the idea here might be, for me, it's this idea that they know a storm is coming, and you know that storm might represent difficulties, or war, or bloodshed, or whatever it might be. But they are prepared, and they are the reason they're prepared is that they are working together as as kind of like a as 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 a community in a sense. And Seamus Heaney was in a lot of his poems explores kind of the, the, the experience of rural life and what it's like to live in the countryside. And he was a, you know, a great advocate of the, the, the community spirit that kind of was so prevalent in these, in these rural environments, in these places where they're exposed to the elements, where life is tough, where the weather does make things challenging. And you know, he often commented on the beauty in that. And I think this idea of them being unified and working together to prepare as best they can. And I think you'd also say that there's um, there's an irony in this statement as well. We are prepared. Well, of course, they're not really. You know, nothing they can do can prepare for the inevitable onslaught that nature has in store for them. And I think, you know, the people living in this island, they know this. But their preparation might almost be a mental one, one of acceptance that, you know, this hardship is about to hit them. It might also be acknowledging they are prepared as they could be. There's not much more they can do. And we hear, you hear how they build their houses squat, they've adapted to this life. And yeah, that's the main thing I take from there, that the unity they have in the face of this hardship.
0: Yeah, and um, as, as they are prepared, and they're quite stoic in their outlook, mm-hmm. um, as the, that stanza progresses, he goes on to describe the, the surroundings, calls it this wizened earth has never troubled us with hay. Um, and there it's kind of like, a it's connoting the idea that it's a, it's a barren landscape. So, well, sorry, I'd say it denotes the idea of a barren landscape. It describes this, this island where not much grows. Um, it's certainly not a, it's like a particularly fertile ground. Mm-hmm. Um, and as a result, they're, they're kind of accustomed to hardship. Hardship is something that they expect. It's something that has, like you said before, characterised not only their personal histories, but their kind of cultural history, yeah. um, their history as a, as a, as a, as a nation. Um, And therefore, they are used to this kind of constant struggle. So it's almost as if they are, like, with the storm that is coming, the fact that they are so um, kind of weathered um, by the storm in in the denotation, but also by war and conflict in the connotation, Mm -hmm. um, I think that that first stanza kind of, like, sets up that idea.
1: No, Yeah, that's an excellent excellent analysis of that. So... um, as we're going on to the second stanza, we see the kind of the use of this semantic field of of kind of violence. Yeah,
0: so we see um, the first line, which might prove company when it blows full blast. Um, so, a semantic field of violence is, or military semantic field is something that's seen all the way through the poem, and this is where it begins. Um, so, even even the word company um, could be taught. We could be referring that to like a, 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 a group large group of soldiers, soldiers yeah. yeah. Um, and then, we, obviously, we have blast. Uh, the the uh, image of an explosion, um, so that I mean that's very that that's very evocative of the troubles themselves that you spoke about. It was kind of um, much more a kind of insurgency, more more than a kind of like conventional warfare. Um, bombs were used against civilians. Mm-hmm. Uh, many civilians were killed, um, and that that's something that's kind of like again talking about the the storm, but very much mirroring the the conflict, the troubles that uh, took place in Northern Ireland.
1: Now, in this second stanza, for me, there's a really strange image and kind of that's you know conjured over a few lines. So, I just want to read this through to you. Um, when it blows full blast, you know what I mean. Leaves and branches can raise a tragic chorus in a gale, so that you listen to the thing you fear, forgetting that it pummels your house too. Now, for me, it's this idea of you know you. Let's say you're in. The, we talk about the denotation. So, you're in your, your living room with your family around you, you might have a fire going if it's this kind of a rural setting, and you hear the kind of the trees in the distance, and you think, oh wow, that tree's being pummeled by the wind. And that almost provides some comfort in terms of, well, that's, that makes it seem like it's happening far away, the danger yeah. is out there. While it's dangerous, there's distance, of course, making you forget that your house is going through the same experience as well, just mm-hmm. not necessarily making the same noise. But you know, when we when we dig, dig a little deeper here, and we think about this tragic chorus, now in you know Greek plays, a chorus is you know a, a group of performers who kind of narrate what's going on and, and explain, you know, talk us through dramatic events. We see it in something like Romeo and Juliet as well. And for me, if we're thinking of it in the context of Northern Ireland, you know, there's there's so many images of the Troubles are of small families, both on the nationalist and unionist side, watching the news. And they're watching the news about something that's affecting their community. And there's this strange um, experience when your community is inflicted by a tragedy. And we saw this in the... You know, us speaking here in Manchester, we saw this in the Manchester Arena bombing. You know, we were... You know, kids were going home. I was teaching in a school where our community was being uh, raided for... There were potential um, pe- dangerous people in the community. So the kids would go home and watch the news about their community being raided. Mm-hmm. And it's this strange experience where you're watching this dangerous thing happening on the news. And it yeah. makes it feel like it's far away. But actually, it's happening to you right there yeah. in that moment. Yeah. This kind of chorus you know, this or, of modern media, modern mm-hmm. news, makes it feel distance. When in fact it's happening to you there in that moment, and I think here he's trying to conjure the the strange experience of, of, yeah. of witnessing a, a, and, uh, a conflict firsthand.
0: Definitely, and then he ends that line that stands with the line "forgetting" that it pummels your house too. Mm-hmm. So we're talking about like like we talk about violent verbs here. There's a pummels fits in with that militaristic violent semantic field, and the fact that it's actually um, like you said, it's simultaneously kind of separate to you, but also yeah. extremely personal and, and um, proximal. Um, and that pummeling is something that gives you the idea that it's something that's continuous unrelenting. and unrelenting, definitely.
1: Yeah. And the importance and the symbolism of your house. You know, when you speak of your house, it's not just your physical kind of shelter, it's yeah. your family, it's your community, it's your nation, it's your, your identity, your yeah. religion, it's what you would attain, attach yourself to.
0: And then if you go to the to the first line of the third stanza, but there are no trees, no natural shelter... Um, So again, the denotation is talking Mm -hmm. about the island. It's this kind of very barren landscape, um, very exposed um, to the elements. But it also could suggest the the nature of the the troubles in Ireland, but also all civil conflicts. Uh, This is somewhere, if if the war is going on around you, there is really no escape. Um, And anywhere where there is any kind of conflict, uh, where it's so close and so personal... Um, there are, where do you go at that point? You have to leave your home or you have to stay and stick it out and, and survive in that environment. Um, so I think that, that kind of allusion to no natural yeah. shelter is a, is a very clear point about um, the, the, lack of, the lack of refuge when, a, when an, a conflict is so close to home or not even close to home. is, is happening very like mm-hmm. in your home.
1: I mean, this is one of the things in the context of the Troubles. So let's say you might be looking at, you know, for Heaney growing up in Derry, Derry was very much a, you know, a besieged community. It was kind of a, a small Catholic city that was surrounded by kind of, um, lots of lots of Protestant communities. And there were lots of tensions there and lots of violence. You look at somewhere like Belfast, if you were a Catholic or a Protestant, there were certain streets. The next street over, you would not walk down. Because you could easily be kind of dragged into a house and shot by a, a rival terrorist organization. And that, that that's how close this was. It was community against community, you know, mm-hmm. street against street. I think what's also interesting about this idea of no trees and no natural shelter is we might think that in kind of modern life we have many comforts and we have many things which when we experience hardship we can turn to. Now, in the case of this island, over time, it's evolved and adapted so that it doesn't have these trees and this natural shelter because it, it wouldn't last. And if we think of the history of Ireland and the various kind of hardships, I think almost it could be talking here about how the, the, the attitude and the um, approach of the people living on Ireland and on this island has changed to be stripped back, to be more stoic, as you said, to be more accepting to be, you know, kind of get rid of kind of maybe dreams and pretensions and just kind of be yeah. grateful for the, for the small things. And maybe that's actually how they ended up being prepared, by mm. just accepting hardship and accepting that this is sometimes the way things are.
0: And I think one other thing about the natural shelter is the kind of um, almost the, the idea that war has rules. Yeah. Um, so it's like combatants against combatants. Um, it's not about kind of, you know, if, 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 if civilians are civilians, they're innocent, they'll be left alone. In a conflict like this, that's just not the reality. Yeah. Uh, so there are, you can't hide behind things like the Geneva Convention mm-hmm. uh, in a conflict where car bombs are going off in crowded squares.
1: Well, no, the, I mean, I think that's another important thing as well is the, the visceral and brutal nature of this conflict. The so let's say you know in the nationalist community there was the IRA. If the IRA felt like someone from their community was uh, kind of, um, So, for instance, in the in the village I grew up in. There was a hotel and they bombed that hotel, even though it was run by Catholic, because that hotel was offering, um, was giving lunch to British soldiers who would pop in and ask for lunch. So they bombed it because it was supporting the British troops. Now that's, that's kind of, that that would have been, quite frankly, in that small village, that would have been communities, that would have been cousins punishing cousins, Mm. risking their cousins' lives for, for commitment to this and... This was not this isn't a normal war. This is you know, there's a great quotation, all wars civil wars because all wars are brothers you no know, so all wars are civil wars because all men are brothers. And that quite frankly just isn't true. Like in this instance, in this in this particular conflict, it did turn family against family, yeah. it did turn community <laughs> against community. Yeah. Now, as we go on in that stanza, I just want to look at the image that explores um, the sea. So just looking at the lines, you might think that the sea is company, exploding comfortably down on the cliffs. But no, when it begins, the flung spray hits the very windows, spits like a tame cat. Now, I love the description of the, of the sea in the stanza. And, and it, what what the hallmark of what makes Seamus Seen such a great poet here is even if we take this these few lines out of the context of this poem, they still ring true with such... Enormous, powerful, evocative description of, of the sea in this instance. So this idea that the sea explodes comfortably. Well, first of all, that's an oxymoron. You know, something can't explode comfortably. An explosion, uh, you know, particularly uncomfortable. <laughs> you're particularly uncomfortable. You would imagine. But this speaks of the, the the great power the sea has. That for the sea to create explosions, to create destruction, to destroy a ship or a coastal village, or to wash over an island. It doesn't even have to break a sweat. The sea is something which, while often it rests storm and it seems peaceful, it has this enormous violence always simmering underneath the surface. And you can never really be sure when that's going to strike. So you might think the sea is company, but no, it's this this constant looming threat that can Mm -hmm. wreak destruction in a moment's notice with, with no effort. And then as it goes on, we have this image again, which is almost the perfect image to describe the power of the sea. Uh, but then it begins, the flung spray hits the very windows, spits like a tame cat, turns savage, going on to the next stanza. And I love this image of the the sea being like a tame cat turned savage. Now when we have, um, so let, let's let say, you know, if you want to buy a house on the coast, that's going to cost you more money for that view. We see the sea as something that's kind of like a, an ornament, something that kind of yeah. can decorate a, a nice place to live. And we see it in the same way we see a cat. We think that's an animal that we've domesticated which is kind of something that we control and provides us company. But the truth is, and I've had a pet cat myself, like, you are merely a convenience to it. At any moment, that cat is still an animal and can still have that violence that it can inflict with ease. You, know, you see what a cat does to... Uh, to a, whether or not it's a mouse or some animal that's hunting, it will just absolutely tear it apart for fun. And it's the same idea about the sea. You might think, or we might think, the sea is something that we have um, domain over, but no way do we. It's something that is forever wild, forever beyond our control.
0: Yeah, interesting little romantic illusion uh, there about the way that the sea is this, has this kind of like a what you call an awe-inspiring power. Yeah. Um, but I think we can see again that how this. This idea of, sort of the sea exploding, comfortably this dormant power or this dormant danger, mm-hmm. um, really mirrors this idea of sectarianism or, yeah. or conflict just in general. So we live in, in relatively in a relatively peaceful society, and yet um, if you look at kind of like media at the moment you're talking about films um, and literature they always explore like dystopian futures where the fabric of society really breaks down yeah. so kind of like a post-apocalyptic society um, so Bird Box on Netflix at the minute yeah. um, talks okay. about how when the, if something just slightly changes no spoilers. no spoilers but if something slightly changes then the world as we know it is, is crumbles is, yeah exactly and that's something that people fear and yet we take that we take this kind of like <coughs> this society that we live in we take it completely for granted, um, this this peacefulness. And I think what he's saying here as well is that in times of peace, you always you always need to be vigilant, or you need to remember that this this kind of like this war, this savage animal of mm-hmm. war, can always um, kind of rear its rear its ugly head. Uh, so if we look at that, just looking at that, um, just
1: just on that, there's there's a there was another famous quotation <coughs> that links with that is that is peace is war? Uh, does war interrupt peace, or does peace interrupt war? And I think that interpretation would give, give credence to the idea that actually peace is merely something that interrupts war yeah. and at any moment we can revert back to that, yeah. that violent state.
0: And I think if we were doing this podcast 100 years ago, we'd have a very different point of view as what peace about peace and war. Yeah. So we've lived in this time where in Europe, unprecedented, it's a very yeah. like, extremely um, long period of peace... And so we think that's the norm. Mm-hmm. But if you think of it in historical terms it definitely isn't. Mm-hmm. It definitely isn't. Um so I think it's that's just something to something to um kind of consider when you think about his overall message.
1: And I I like the idea that, you know, I think what Seamus Heaney here is doing so well is he's simultaneously conveying the power and, the, and the, the majesty and the effortless brutality of the storm mm. while also making us ponder, well, what exactly does this storm represent? Who are these islanders? Why do they remain living on this island? So he, he really is effective at making us appreciate the power of the storm yeah. whilst also making us think deep about what this represents.
0: Definitely. And then the image of the cat is the same because the, the cat, like you said, it's a, it, it didn't start as a domesticated animal. It started as a wild animal. Um, so when it's t- when it's a tame cat, it's something that's um, peaceful and domestic and and comfortable. Mm-hmm. It's just this image of, of kind of like a a peaceful domestic scene, um, and yet under the surface all the time there there's a wild animal. And when violence erupts, um, it erupts from a, from from that that kind of facade of peace of mm-hmm. peacefulness. It's all, it it was always there, bubbling under the, sur- the surface. And then if we're talking about the fact that it, it hits the very windows. We're talking about the close quarters of this, of this conflict. Like you said, um, almost like people on the next street were your, were your enemies. Yeah. Um, and so this conflict isn't something that's remote. It's not off in some uh, foreign land. It's something that is kind of right in front of you. It crosses your very threshold. Um, and the, the image of the cat, something that lives with you, mm-hmm. something that lives close to you, Um, turning savage is that is very much that it kind of just really betrays that image of conflict um, being very personal very close
1: so as we go into the final stanza now um, and I think even just as we're going through this poem the kind of the pace the poem it 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 happens almost instantaneous it's such a I I know this seems like a fairly inane thing to say but this is such a, a short breath of a poem. It, you're almost you can you begin the poem and then it's over and he flies through all these series of images so quickly yeah. that it's almost dreamlike. like you're almost like, Well what, what's what actually happened in that poem? Is that about a storm or what? It's a blink and you'll miss a poem. Mm-hmm. And already, you know, we're onto this final stanza now. And we've got this idea, you know, we just sit tight while wind dives and strafes invisibly. Well, you know, again, we can turn back to the, the semantic field that Al's kind of uh, pointed out, uh, this military idea of the wind diving and strafing, which inevitably makes us think of kind of uh, particularly World War II, which is named image Seamus Heaney would have grown up a lot with, mm-hmm. those sorts of planes diving towards the ground and shooting at soldiers. Strafes meaning kind of like a, you know, a, a fire a rally from a machine gun and the wind almost being like an enemy plane, like diving down and attacking them. But then, you know, that while that's the obvious thing that everyone's going to point out, there's some more subtle things going on here. So, you know, we've got this idea of sitting tight. So this kind of, um, this colloquial figure um, of speech, you know, this is something you might say to, this is something someone would say in a situation. Let's say a bomb's gone off down the road. I can guarantee you my grandmother, Lord rest her soul, would be like, well, let's sit tight. Yeah. Like, like, what else can you do but, like, just wait mm. like your powerlessness in this situation and strangely enough in in using that sort of colloquial language i think while well, you're powerless the only thing you really have is the sort of the, the you just accept this is normality of life this is what it's like to live yeah. in, the, in this situation you just sit and you wait because this yeah. is normal
0: for you and that colloquial language he uses that before it says like you know what i mean yeah sit tight and i think again it's it's reinforcing that same um idea that this is, this is happening to normal people, yeah. you know, this is happening to, to families to children, not just to soldiers
1: and what I love is that this idea of sitting tight, which I think is a really important note, is preceded by we, we just sit tight and this is, you know, one of the great things about Seamus Heaney's poetry, looking at Northern Ireland, is that because he never really takes a politically, overtly an overt political message he's never identified I don't think I, you would say Seamus Heaney is a Catholic or a nationalist poet he's a poet who looks at the human condition so we just sit tight so regardless of which side of this divide you fall on whether or not you're unionist or nationalist they all go through the same experience of sitting tight hoping for the best hoping for the storm to pass yeah. and again you know, it's a simple word but we in this poem carries enormous weight and power mm-hmm. um, and perhaps is the very heart of what he's trying to say
0: yeah. Um, so just quick apologies for the, uh, the construction noises outside. I'm sure that probably interfered with the recording. That's our own urban storm. Um, but we are... Moving- London, William Blake. Yeah, there we go. Um, so, moving- so we've looked at this semantic field, which moves all the way through. We've got Salvo bombarded. Um, and it seems quite, quite dramatic. And there seems to be a lot happening. And it's, um, it's very violent imagery. And then he finishes, again, we go to the last line of the poem. Strange is a huge nothing that we fear and it seems like a quite anticlimactic um, yeah. that, it was all, that was all just uh, well like you said it's easy to have got, you get to that line and think well what just happened what yeah. was that all about <laughs> um, but I think this is an interesting point to, and I've very much um, brought into Ted's idea that the, the first and last line of the poems are the ones that we really need to focus on they're, they're almost like the foundation of our entire uh, analysis so if we look at this idea of nothing it's nothing that we fear he says that the, the storm itself is, is a nothingness it, it doesn't exist now we can we can see what it means by that now, we know that that storms do have tangible presence, however, if you look outside and you see um, winds blowing the trees, uh, you see things falling over whatever it's uh, it seems to be kind of like uh, an invisible force which is which is making that happen um, and I think and it, even though it's undoubtedly destructive and violent, you can 't quite see what's happening not with you, not like with the naked eye um, so it's kind of intangible in nature. Um, and yet it is the, it's similar to the power of ideas um, and the destruction and violence which are committed in the name of these ideas. So we, we've looked at Ireland here, um, and it's this idea of Catholicism and Protestantism, Republicanism versus Unionism. Mm-hmm. These, are, these are human constructs, completely human constructs. And they are, they're rooted in this idea of tribalism. However, they are, they're not real. Mm-hmm. You know, and and that you know, you could say that to one person would be very. It would be a, like a sacrilegious thing to say. Yeah. What do you mean it's not real? That's my entire life. That's that's yeah. everything. And yeah, if you if you look for, at which it,
1: would have been the instance for many of the people yeah. living in Derry, I can tell you, yeah. like for, for many of the people Shane Heaney grew up with, their identity as a suppressed minority, mm-hmm. they would have identified themselves in the most passionate, ardent way, yeah. as Catholic nationalists.
0: Well exactly, and that 's what, and, and I just think that speaks something to what it means to be human is, is to have a certain mythology Now that is not to alienate any religion um, or lack thereof. it's simply to say that the importance of kind of story and of um, communal belief mm-hmm. in our lives and in our identity, and I think if we 're talking about power of identity, this poem can easily be used to, to discuss that yeah. it 's talking about how identity is simultaneously everything. And yet, nothing. Nothing. Yeah. It's just something that is completely subjective and depends entirely on the individual, their their background, their upbringing, their education, um, and what they've decided or what they've been able to buy into. Um, and I think if you want to, if you want to look at this in a very, like we say, we're trying to, we're trying to really elevate the quality of your answer. Look at that poem in the in the look at this poem in those terms. This is an exploration of the mythology of the human experience, mm-hmm. the fact that it is. So rooted on intangible ideas. These stories that we create and how
1: these stories and these ideologies, how they shape everything that happens to you. Even you kind of, you know, the story we create around success and hard work, means that you go to school. The story we create around academic qualification means you need to get GCSEs, A-levels, go to universities, and how these stories shape your lives. And in the society we live in, these stories at the moment are relatively peaceful and benign. However you know just what going across the water there you know what is it like mm-hmm. 40 miles to northern ireland and you look at the stories they were telling each they were telling in their communities not you know recent history 20 30 years ago that was leading to bloodshed and war yeah. and i suppose it, this interesting exploration here in this poem Heaney uses this the physical power of the storm to represent how these uh, these stories we tell these you you can talk about human mythology these these social constructs how they can wrought great great destruction
0: yeah and it's um, and and he just all he's saying he's pointing out that it's strange. Yeah, he's not saying I don't think he's saying that you should abandon story and that there's no place for it. That's the, and I, I think that's kind of like that would be an existential threat to humanity if that were the case. However, it is strange that the the kind of when you look at it and you take a step back, it's it's strange how much stuff we put into those ideas.
1: Mm-hmm. And just another possible interpretation of that last line. while I would probably give more support to yours. There's another argument here. Strange is a huge nothing that we fear. A possible point towards death there, this idea that death itself is a huge nothing and that ultimately the greatest fear we will always have is uh, ceasing to exist. So perhaps in this instance, it's this idea of the threat of, of death that is the ultimate fear we all have. Um, and again, I think that we fear. So again, creating a unity between all the people on this island. Yep. They all experience this hardship. They all share a fear. And that's a really interesting idea as well that actually it's not just our hopes um, that that unite us but also our fears we have the same fears because fears every bit as great and motivator as, as hope
0: more so you could say
1: well in current context, I think that's definitely uh definitely the case. Um, so just kind of linking back with something I said earlier, I was looking at the um, kind of the breathless quality of this poem. How before you know it's almost begun, it's over. How you know, you get to the end of this poem and it's so disorienting. You're not entirely certain what's happened. It's hard to to fathom exactly what, what's gone down. And I think the use of caesura and enjambment in this poem play a big part in that. You know, the poem stops and it starts. In particular, I think the use of enjambment and lines like "spits like a tame cat turned savage." Yeah, it means you're going from one stanza to the other without you know a spare thought. And I think you know we're looking at the form of this poem here. You know, obviously we've identified the technique. Brilliant. What does it represent? I think for me, there's loads of different interpretations. I think you could talk about the brevity of human experience, the efe- ephemeral nature of life. How something you know life is so short mm-hmm. that we often prioritize the wrong things. And you know, it's it's in to get, it's in community and togetherness that we need to, to find value how um, we can get swept up in these stories that we were talking about earlier, how you can you know, ad- attach yourself to some something you think is extremely important but ultimately isn't, whether or not that's a, an ideology or religion or whatever it might be. And there's also the idea, I think, you could just literally go with a literal breathless quality, the idea that you know, when you're walking in a storm it is literally difficult to breathe and this poem has a rush quality that's trying to evoke that experience. Um, and again, with, we've said this before with form, everyone's going to be able to spot the techniques like caesura and enjambment. I mean, they stick out clear as daylight. The, the challenge for you is to attach to them an interesting, insightful interpretation that marries with your own interpretation of the poem. So based on whatever you think this poem represents, you just, when you're looking at form and structure, need to support whatever you identify that's used with that interpretation. And so for instance, you've
0: spoken about enjamberman if we were looking at the sejor in this poem, which is which is just as prevalent. Yeah. Um what is sejor is the interruption of a line uh, with punctuation that's easy to see as in the, the, the interruption of kind of like this piece this, the piece that we were talking about yeah. like which which one interrupts the other um, and I, I think you could easily put, you could easily write a, a little analysis on that too yeah. so just yeah. and again it's about supporting your kind of we're looking at AO2 there You're, like we're talking about your um, analysis of methods but you, that needs to really support your AO one, which is your understanding of the poem. Yeah. So you use you use the, the you don't want the, you, you need to make sure that your um, that you, that an- analysis of method basically proves the point that you've already made.
1: Mm-hmm. I mean in Ireland we've got an expression you don't want the cart leading the horse right
0: you're, you're, well, I remember I was going to say tail wagging the dog but I remember you gave me a lot of grief for that last time So, well yeah
1: cart, lead the cart the leading the horse the idea that you horse know, your, horse is, your horse is your area one that's, it's basically you engaging with the poem and you know, your language analysis to support the interpretation the ideas and insights you've offered into this poem Yeah. so don't let the cart lead the horse
0: it was going so well and then we went into these little
1: idioms and figures yeah, of speech yeah. but in many ways when we experience storms that's always what we revert to uh, and that is everything for today. It's goodbye from me, Ted. And
0: good- it's be- goodbye from me, Alex. <laughs> Bye-bye. <Goodbye. laughs> Can you say goodbye again? <laughs> <laughs> nope.